I really need one of you to see Ferrari. <laughs> um, because the last act of it is has been just rattling around in my head. Um, I, I desperately to want to. <laughs> I will. Yeah, I will. We could do a Michael Mann I like it when, after you've seen it. I like it when cargo fast. Um, <laughs> yeah, I'll do talk. You... I'll talk about Michael Mann with you. Yeah, yeah, fantastic. Hello, and welcome to Did You Do Your Homework, the pop culture podcast connecting academic ideas to popular media to list making. I'm one of your co-hosts, Pete Romberg, and uh, yeah, it's about to get real snowy and cold here in the Great Lakes region, so I'm kind of just bundling up and preparing for that. Joining me, as always, is my co-host, Martha Sullivan, resident librarian and addictive list maker and i am the problem for the episode that is about to happen you can blame me (laughs) you are the problem it's you it's me uh and, and that will be made clear as we see how many lists each of us have Spoiler, one of us has more than the others. <laughs> uh, but speaking of it's others, me. yes, it's Hi. Martha. <laughs> uh, speaking of others, we are joined by our, uh, our uh, fellow traveler in our podcasting network, uh, <laughs> the the co-host of Love Ya, the other show we've got going on on the same feed. Uh, Hi, I'm Marin Hagman, and... I am very impressed that you did not just say my wife in a Borat voice. So. Yeah, I mean, I will right now. <laughs> my wife. <laughs> I'm just impressed that you called us a network. <laughs> <laughs> We're like a network with two nodes. That's, you know, there's some interconnectivity there. <laughs> big plans, big plans for 2024. Uh, no, but in instead of looking forward to 2024 this year, uh, first episode of the year, great time to look back on 2023. So that's what this episode's going to be all about. It's our top tens of 2023, along with maybe some honorable mentions and some noted uh, things we wished we had been able to consume but weren't able to. Um, this is a pure list episode we're just going to be talking about the things we love from 2023 so we're going to jump right in we're not going to have a stuck in our heads because realistically everything on these lists is probably what was stuck in our heads at some point or another this year um it's all stuck in our heads all the time exactly uh so martha you have two actual top 10 lists uh we're going to bookend this conversation you'll begin with one of your lists uh and then marn and i will share our more um uh comprehensive or not comprehensive but like our our uh, gestalt lists of everything and then we'll end the conversation with your other list um so take it away on whichever list you want to get started with yeah so i'm going to start so i have as as pete stated i have two lists i have my top 10 movies of 2023 and i have my top 10 everything else um as much as i would like to consume enough current media to make complete top 10 lists for like books and TV and all that stuff. I just, I don't. Um, A lot of what I end up watching in the TV realm and reading ends up being from years 
uh, past. So my first top 10 list I'm going to share with you all is a combo TV, books, and video games. Uh, so I'm going to start at number 10. And at number 10, I have Baldur's Gate 3, which finally dropped for systems other than the PlayStation. Um, this is at number 10 because I've only put in about 10 hours of it so far. It is very fun uh, and probably will rise in my estimation just as I experience more of it. I just haven't uh -huh. had time to do so. Um, what do you yeah, play as? Um, well, I started my very first playthrough as a bard. Uh, and then I got really frustrated and stuck, so I started over as a monk, and I've been having a lot more fun with a more combat-focused class. You're the first person I've I've heard of who plays a monk. Interesting. Yeah, I like being able to hit many people. Mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, my number nine is also a video game. It is from the same studio that is making um scarlet hollow which i have definitely talked about on this podcast before uh this game is called slay the princess and it is another narrative driven horror story game uh the premise of this one is you are a hero you wake up in the woods and you are told by a narrative voice that it is your job to go into a cabin on the hill find the princess locked away in that cabin and slay her to prevent the end of the world hmm um, again, it is a choice-driven narrative, so you have options at every turn, um, and things in the world change as you make choices. Um, it's very compelling. I have, again, not finished it yet, um, but it's a kind of branching narrative that changes based on how you react to things, and just based on how strong of a um, how strong of a game Scarlet Hollow is. I'm really looking forward to exploring every nook and cranny of this game uh, <laughs> as I as I work on it. All right, my number eight is the Scott Pilgrim Takes Off TV show on Netflix. Mm. Uh, I'm a big fan of the Scott Pilgrim versus the World TV show. I didn't love the comic, um, but the animated show is so fun. It is not a remake of the movie. Uh, and in fact, explores a lot of different directions from the original source material while still being true uh, to the characters. Um, Brian Lee O'Malley, the writer of the comic, was one of the developers of the show. So it mm -hmm. also feels very true to his vision. Uh, and it's just such a fun time. Um, so the, the Yes. Yeah, uh, go ahead. No, I was just going to say, the original material does not treat its female characters super kindly. Mm -hmm. um, and I think that the the TV show does a lot to sort of show how the creator has grown and also how these characters can uh, kind of grow beyond the um, sort of self-centered assholes <laughs> that they can be <laughs> in the original material. Sure. So I, I've heard good things about this from both you and my brother Mark, uh, past and maybe future guests on the show. Um, so I like the Scott Pilgrim movie, but I probably haven't watched it in 10 years or something. <laughs> uh, and I know that Marin doesn't like the movie so much. So with that knowledge, would this be like a fun show for both of us or maybe just more for me I, or what? Well, so Marin, what was it about the movie that you didn't care for? Uh, <laughs> Putting you on the spot. Everything. 
No, it just, it, it matters. It just, it matters to my recommendation or not. Oh, like I that's mean, all. I just wanted to punch Scott Pilgrim in the face so hard. Then yes, I do think both of you should watch this show. Oh. <laughs> because it acknowledges that he's a, um, <laughs> not a great dude. No, because Ramona is really the lead character of the show. Hmm, okay. I also did love Ramona. <laughs> Too much I, of a, I, a manic pixie dream girl yeah. for you? Yeah. No, but see, I, okay, I, I still think... So, I, Pete, for you, I would say watch the whole thing. Yeah. Marin, for you, watch the first two episodes. Okay. They're, they're like half-hour episodes, so watch the two. If you're jiving, if you're vibing with it, great and if you're not then yeah. you've only invested okay. an hour of time and but yeah i do think that it does some really interesting things and i totally hear you on those criticisms of the movie um but i think you would be and don't read anything about it because i think it works best if you kind of go in not knowing what you're about to get into sure sure uh, uh, my number you, seven is a. Oh, sorry. Uh, before you go any further, I just want to note that uh, our dog is chewing on his rope uh, right in this room, which is very cute, but also might be getting picked up on Mike. So if you hear chomping noises or like <coughs> sounds uh, in the distance, we're not eating food. <laughs> <laughs> well, I someone cannot is hear enjoying him, his. So... <laughs> All right, good. <laughs> someone, someone is just going to town on a stuffed flamingo. <laughs> Uh, my number seven is a book called Whale Fall by Daniel Krauss. Uh, this book is a survival thriller about a guy who goes scuba diving. He is looking for the bones of his father who committed suicide a year ago. So by walking into the ocean. So he goes scuba diving to try and find um, his father's remains in order to sort of close the book on their relationship. And in the process, gets swallowed by a sperm whale. <laughs> it is incredible. It is so tense. Um, every the head of every chapter is how much psi he has left in his air tank <laughs> until it runs out. <laughs> while he is sort of figuring out how he is going to get out of this whale, uh, and also while this is happening, he is reminiscing on the relationship that he had with his father because they did not leave things in a good place. Um. Yeah, that's, again, all I kind of want to say about it. It is very tense. I enjoy, like, I could not stop reading it. Um, and I also, like, at, at no point in that book did I know whether the guy was going to live or not. Like, it is never <laughs> a clear-cut answer. <laughs> uh, this gives me an idea to update the book of Jonah and include the PSI that he has, the oxygen that he has left in, in the whale that swallows him. Uh, at the beginning of well, the chapter there. Apparently, this book is as scientifically accurate as Krauss could make it, sure. which is why it is very specifically a sperm whale, because uh, sperm whales are not krill eaters, so they actually have a throat that could dilate wide enough to actually swallow um, mm -hmm. a diver. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Uh, my number six is also a book. It is Mr. Magic by Kirsten White. Uh, this is a horror book. Um about a group of uh, former child actors who were on a, a kid's show called Mr. Magic, where he sort of led them through um, 
creating scenarios in their imagination. And the show was about like learning morals and being better kids and the power of friendship. And then one day um, Mr. Magic disappears and the whole show gets shut down very suddenly. Hmm. And then 30 years later, uh, the now adults are reunited for a um, an oral history project about the history of the show. And through the investigation of like, what happened and why there are no recordings of this show anymore and why everybody remembers it existing, but nobody has like actual copies of it or can remember any specifics about it. Oh. Um, start to kind of unravel the creepypasta mystery of this children's show. I am, I'm adding that to my Goodreads. It's it fabulous. Like <laughs> Uh, my number five is The Bear Season 2. Heck yeah. Um, it rules. <laughs> I did not watch a lot of TV this year, but that show is continuing on very, very strong. Um, is it on? Did it make one of your lists, too? Are we going to talk about it later? I think, I think it is the only three for three. It's number two on my list. Uh, Fantastic. Do we, do we want to go into it now, or do we want to wait for, for it to pop up on one of ours? Um, either way. Let's, let's talk about it now. I, it's, it's three for three. Yeah. It's the only one that's on all three of our lists. Uh, you know, Martha, for you and I, it makes a lot of sense because all the, all that good, good Chicago-ness. Uh, but it's also on Martin's list because it's just an impeccably crafted, uh, Golden Globe winning, uh, show. I love that Iowa Beery won a Golden Globe for playing Sydney. She yes. is such a like such the heart of that show um and I've, i thought that the second season was really smart in sort of shifting the focus away from jeremy allen white yeah um and really giving the other characters like t- room to grow and be people um yeah it was it was fun that every character got basically their own episode um and as much as everyone was talking about the fishes episode, which was an incredible tour de force of an episode, uh, I think my my hands down favorite episode of television of the past decade might be uh, the one that came after that, Forks, which is the cousin Richie uh, cousin Richie learning to become a Michael Mann protagonist uh, episode, <laughs> <laughs> and also uh, sing along to Taylor Swift. <laughs> I really liked that episode for my money. I liked the episode that comes after that a little bit more. Mm-hmm. Like that episode is great because you get to see Richie learning all of these lessons. I loved seeing him implement them. Yeah. Yeah. Like he wears suits now and you're like, oh, this stuck. This wasn't just a flash in the pan. Well, and I, I think what you guys are getting at here too is I, I think one of the reasons this it's so exciting um, is that I think that this season probably utilized and interwove, um, you know, these like standalone episodes with an overarching story so well. I think that's done relatively rarely. I mean, I think there's always been, you know, stretches where like shows explore one character specifically, but I think rarely has that structure been so well interwoven with an overarching structure. Um, and I think that's a really interesting and unique way to do storytelling of we see their own individual journeys, but then we also come back and see how 
like we see a culminating group journey in the last couple of episodes um and it also it also oh yeah and it's also just nice to like see a drama that's not about suburban people having affairs (laughs) yes and it's it's also most of the tension is some of its communication but a lot of it isn't a lot of it is just like you know it it it's it's a show that likes its characters even when they're messing up like even even when it acknowledges their complexities it's it's rooting for them even when they're failing which is a nice place to start from Uh, and i think it also is a nice balance i mean i think television comedy has has fully bought into, and I mean, not that the show is often or totally a comedy. I mean, I think at best it could be described as a dramedy. Um, but I, I think within the last 10, 15 years, we shifted away from, you know, the humor of, like, friends where it's all making fun of each other and kind of jabbing at everyone's quirks uh, to more the humor of Mike Schur of we are a team against these obstacles. And I think, uh, well, and I can say, you know, as someone who is in the middle of a Brooklyn Nine-Nine rewatch, I, I can see where that goes off the rails, where I think oftentimes that leads to characters becoming caricatures. So I think this is a really nice threading the needle of it is an ensemble comedy where their enemies are not each other, but it's also not sickly sweet in and in, in veering into caricature of, okay, we are coming up against these obstacles together. Um, and I, I think that that kind of explores, you know, a new way forward in comedy. And, and I think that's also part of what's made the show unique and exciting. Absolutely. And just to go back to the storytelling real quick, I think that it is also doing a really smart job of not only showing you these individual character pieces, but also using that to give you information about like where Carmi came from and how he has become the person that he is. Like when Marcus goes to learn with the the pastry chef and like you kind of get a glimpse into how he's related like what his connection to Carmi is and what that tells you about his history and all of that, I just think is such a smart way to both focus on these other characters, but still feed you bits of info on the guy who's ostensibly the lead. Yeah. And and the last little bit I'll say before we can, uh, you know, move on is I, I appreciate that it does something that I, I really like in fiction where it like thinking of Marcus his POV episode or his his focal episode, it's dealing a lot with the fact that his mom is in the hospital um, and how difficult it is for him to, like, leave the country and go study in Amsterdam while his mom's in the hospital. Other shows, worse shows, would have her die, like, while he's gone or, you know, th- there would be some big traumatic moment. And this, that doesn't happen. Like, she's in the hospital because she's sick, maybe in a coma. I don't actually remember cancer, maybe. Um, but... There's no episode that ends with her dying, and now he has to deal with well, that. Well, I mean, like, well, but it's, it's, I well. mean, but like, it's it. What what I mean though is like that. Well, I his, mean, 
I assume, for our listeners, yeah, spoilers, spoilers for the. Well, I mean, literally, the season ends with him having missed a ton of calls. Yes, from her yes, caretaker. The, the season did, but not the episode where he's in Amsterdam. Yeah, that's true. And I, I think that a lesser show would have given him the the success of his time in Amsterdam, and then immediately done the emotional and dramatic twist right then of having something happen to his mom. Whereas having that more tied to the the restaurant. Let's that breathe a little bit. It makes it feel just a little more, um, I don't know, to me a little more earned or at least a little less, like, on on the rails or by the book, you know? Yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a show that really knows its levels, as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, my number four is another video game called Oxenfree 2. Um, this was a sequel to a game that I quite liked from a few years ago called Oxenfree that is sort of a horror time loopy sci-fi kind of deal. Um, I thought that the sequel did a really good job of, um, staying true to sort of the conceit of the games while also expanding, like it is not a retread of the first game. Um, but it uses a lot of the tricks that you learned in the first game, uh, but with new characters in sort of an expanded world. Um, so I just thought that the writing on that one was really smart. Mm. Um, and I do enjoy that I am bookending my video game choices with the game that takes a million hours and the game that takes six. <laughs> <laughs> I... <laughs> These are my two options. <laughs> Uh, my number three is a book called Yellow Face by R.F. Quang. Uh, Quang notably has written a lot of epic fantasy up until now, and this book is uh, literary fiction. Um, I found it to be deeply relevant um, to a lot of questions that we are asking uh, in the publishing and the book world, uh, particularly about like who has the right to tell what story. Um, And I thought that this book did a really good job of showing me, a white person, how much rationalization can go into um, making decisions for very bad people. Uh, The premise of the story is uh, June, our narrator, uh, is an author and is friends with a much more successful author named Athena. And the two of them are hanging out one night and Athena dies suddenly and tragically. And June ends up taking her last unfinished manuscript, polishing it up and submitting Mm. it to be published. Mm -hmm. Um, The trouble is that Athena is an Asian American author and the book is about the role of Chinese laborers in the first world war. So coming from a white person, it feels kind of weird. So her publishing team is like, well, let's see how we can spin this. Um, and through the whole book, you are listening to June go like, I never intended to publish it, but then it was like, it would really be a shame for the world to not get to read this book. And I never claimed to be Chinese. We just like the whole thing is, um, like witnessing the cascading effect of slippery slope arguments in Mm -hmm. just a really like, uh, you know, in a way that I, as a white person, appreciated, like, kind of being confronted with. Um, I, yes, can't stop thinking about that one. Would really love it if everyone could read it. Mm-hmm. 
That that would be interesting. I maybe I should read that. I have I have more complicated feelings on the whole like who gets to tell what stories. Um but they're well, very much I, I don't think I do not think that the book is saying that you have to only that you can only write from your own perspective. Like I, I yeah. truly don't think that that's what the book is saying. Um, but it does ask us to kind of interrogate the idea of like, are there stories that belong to other people? And like, I, I <laughs> and, know, and in this the, case, the idea... very literally, like it was not her, it right. was literally not her story. Yeah, exactly. And like, you know, really considering like, am I the right person to tell this story authentically? Like mm-hmm. that, that I think is the question that the book is asking, not like, since I am a white straight woman, like I can never write anything about somebody who does not fit into those profiles. I don't think the book is saying that. Yeah. Well, and this is, uh, it's very interesting that this came out this year when like a big or a chunk of discourse was about, you know, a, a movie we'll get to later of Killers of the Flower Moon, which, you know, this discussion of who gets to tell a story is sort of involved in, in that narrative, that meta narrative as well. Uh, but we can get to that when we get to Absolutely. that. Absolutely. Um, yes, Ozzy has now brought a fresh toy and is desperate for us to play with him. Because we're just being boring sitting here, <laughs> not playing with him. <laughs> the problem How is he's, he's a loud tug-of-war player, so uh, we cannot do that. <laughs> All right, my number two is another book called Black River Orchard by Chuck Wendig. Uh, this is the horror novel of my Stephen King loving dreams. Um, it feels very much it feels very much like classic King. Um, it is about a man who owns an apple orchard and discovers a or hybridizes a new kind of apple, or does he? Uh, that when people eat it, um, like. It clears their skin. It irrigates their crops. It moisturizes their skin. Or it <laughs> keeps them moisturized. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but then weird stuff starts happening. But yeah, it's got all of the elements of great classic Stephen King. It's got a small town with a dark secret. It's got cult activity. It's got many branching narratives that all sort of converge. Um, it's like 600 pages, but reads like a whip. It is wonderful i truly cannot recommend this book highly enough if you are a horror person at all uh, i just tossed this on my goodreads and was reminded that i have um what was his uh, wendig's previous uh the book of collected objects? he did the book of accidents that's which i'm one. quite sure made it onto a list of mine from the past he yes, also that's... did wanderers and wayward which are an apocalypse duo which are also quite good Book um, of Accidents was the one I was thinking. That's been on my Goodreads, um, and I just haven't gotten around to it yet. So now I have two Chuck Wendigs on my Goodreads. <laughs> uh, and yeah, I'm going to close out my first top ten list with The Fall of the House of Usher, which we did a whole episode about. <laughs> um, and I just truly found to be A-plus, entertaining, soapy, fun. Um, it's not quite as e- powerful emotionally as some of Flanagan's other works um but it was a ride that I really enjoyed taking if you want to hear more of our thoughts on that uh as Martha said we had a whole episode on it so go listen to that yes we did
Uh, Marin did not watch that show. Sure did. <laughs> Too spooky for you. Uh, do we want to take a real quick break and yeah. then uh, dip into one of your two lists? Yeah, that seem, yeah. seems like a good idea because usually we'd have a break here anyway. Yep. So we will, we will be right back after this quick break. And we are back. So I'm going to go ahead and take the next next crack at my top 10 list. Uh, unlike Martha, well, um, Martha, you were bemoaning not, uh, you know, consuming enough media that came out this year, 2023. That's literally why I have a single list rather than two. I definitely saw enough movies and liked enough movies that I could make a, a top 10 movies only list. No problem. I did not consume enough other media for me to have made a top 10, um, you know, miscellaneous list. So I, I just have one big old list smooshed together. And it is as follows. Uh, so my number 10, I, I have two quasi cheats on this list. Uh, number 10 is less so. Number 10 is a, well, it's a cheat because it's two things. It's a movie and an album. Um... A24 put out a 4K re-release of the Talking Heads concert film slash concert album, Stop Making Sense. I talked about it as a stuck in my head one of these uh, uh, episodes past. Uh, and that's my number 10. Both the 4K remaster of the movie, which is a great uh, remaster, both visually and audially. Audially? Audibly. Audibly? <laughs> Auditorily. <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, and uh, I dragged Marin to go see it in our nice art theater, uh, beautiful old movie palace type place. And it was a great time. It was basically like going to a concert. Um, and so that that experience, and also just the 4K re-release, and also they put out a remastered um, album of it, which has a, uh, a song that never appeared before, uh, is put back in the track listing. Um, so it was just really, really delightful to, like, in October have a full-on talking heads renaissance uh everyone remembering how much they love this movie and this album me remembering how much i love the movie and the album uh and ending up with a great great transfer uh talked about on a on a um uh stuck in my head so probably don't need to you know don't know if you guys have anything i else continue to there. i continue to be happy for you <laughs> yeah exactly <laughs> Uh, number nine is my only other music option that made it on my list. This was a weird year for me musically. Uh, we'll get into this on, on my honorable mentions. Uh, but I wasn't listening to a lot of new, um, like indie or, or rock music, which is my normal forte. I was doing a lot more like soundtracks and, um, minimalist music and, and sort of soundscapey stuff. Uh, but, um, and, and just older music in general, but Coming out this year in March, Spotify told me it was my number one listen to of the year, was the Boy Genius album, The Record. Uh, it's their first full-length album after they had an EP, a self-titled EP, come out a couple years ago. Uh, and it's great. Boy Genius is great. Super group of uh, Julian Baker, Lucy Dacus, and Phoebe Bridgers. Um, three artists whom I love independently, and I love when they're working together. Last five or six years was me realizing that I really like female singer-songwriter rockers, and that's what Boy Genius is. Uh, Maren, I know your take on Boy Genius. <laughs> I'm glad it brings you joy. <laughs> Martha, I don't know your your take on them. 
I don't have one. I'm sorry. <laughs> I've you never listened to them. I, I'm trying to figure out if you would like them or not. Um, there's a rawness to it that you might really like, but I know that you're very lyric forward. Um, and I think that I think that they are all very lyric forward songwriters, but sometimes those lyrics get buried in the music itself. Um, so I'd say give it a spin, see if you enjoy it. Uh, I'm guessing that you sure. don't know the three of them uh, as independent musicians. That's correct. Okay. Um, yeah, they're, it's it's three queer women. So uh, doing doing great. Love work. it. Yeah. Arthur, Love to see you it. You could spare yourself. All the songs sound the same. <laughs> Listen to one. That's all you need. Marin is incredibly wrong because anyone who, who listens to that was like, yeah, you can easily tell Lucy Dacus from a Phoebe Bridger song. I'm not wrong. <laughs> I'm not wrong. Spare yourself, Martha. <laughs> Listen to like Gandalf fly, you fools. <laughs> Spare yourself. <laughs> uh... Right, so yeah, Marin, Marin uh, has incorrect opinions on Boy Genius. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> uh, my number eight is a TV show. It is Star Trek Lower Decks. Um, this year was a weirdly big Star Trek year for me. Uh, both Lower Decks, which was an animated show, and um, Strange New Worlds, which is a live-action show, had new seasons out this year, and they were both absolutely A-plus, top-tier Star Trek um, I ended up putting Lower Decks on my list, um, just because I ended up binging the entire show while I had COVID, and that was a really good COVID watch. Um, and it's, it's, it's Star Trek at its best. It's episodic, but it's heartfelt. It is, uh, it's a little self-aware and a little, you know, taking the piss out of Star Trek itself while also being deeply honor, like, honoring the Star Trek, you know, ideas. I, I think that Roddenberry would have really enjoyed it. It is, um you know, uh, deeply steeped in a post-scarcity quasi-socialist future and thinks that that's a good thing to aspire to, um, which which is all we can want for Star Trek. Uh, Love it. Yeah, and I, I know that this this group here likes the, the JJ movies, but then I don't... Movie, I, singular. Ah, uh, yeah. I, I like mean, the first one. The other two are crap. Beyond is like... What a Fast and Furious, but in Star Trek, yeah, and that's there, fun. There's some fun things in Beyond. How? I don't how hate Beyond. dare you? I, how it's dare a, it's you? A, it's, a, it's a solid six out of ten. I I will stand by that Star okay. Trek Beyond is like a Fast and Furious in space. It's all about family and and making spaceships go fast, <laughs> living your life a quarter parsec at a time. I mean, you are not wrong, though, Martha. That there is a, a dramatic drop in quality. Yes. Like, first one is definitely much, much better than the others, but yes. I don't know. I gotta get a kick out of Star Trek Beyond. <laughs> I, we're, I'm we're happy all, for you. We're all notably <laughs> not talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. Oh, yeah, no, so. nobody, nobody's defending that movie. Ever. Nobody is talking. No yes. one is talking about Star Trek Into Darkness. <laughs> yes. Uh, so uh, my, what is your number seven? My number seven is Wes Anderson's Asteroid City. Uh, we did a whole episode on Wes Anderson, including Asteroid City, but um, this... I did not know what to expect going into this movie, and I thoroughly enjoyed it. I thought it was, in a way, his most emotionally mature, while also his most, like, Baroque structurally. Um, and, yeah, every... I mean... It's well established that I'm a Wes Anderson fan. I really enjoyed this one. 
I don't think it's my favorite, but it is definitely up there as as top tier Wes. Oh, yeah, this one really ended up being a Rosetta Stone for me. It's number three on my movies list. Mm-hmm. Um, I did not expect to connect with it as deeply as I did, and I had a great time. And I cried when the alien showed up. <laughs> he's just a funny little dude. <laughs> he's just a little guy. Yeah, he just wants his rock back. <laughs> I don't know. I think for me, it, and it, it is not appearing on any of my lists, um, and I, I will caveat this with saying I, I have enjoyed many a Wes Anderson film. Um, but you, it, you're also hot and cold on him. Yeah, uh, I think for me, this one leaned in too much to the pretentiousness. Um, and I, I think this one had one too many a layer of artificiality um, that... You do not need the method school and the Elia Kazan yeah. references and, yeah. And I... I mean, I'm someone who has watched plenty of Elia Kazan movies, but yeah, to me, it, it was just one too many layers of artifice. And I, I think that when Wes Anderson is at his best, the, the artifice and the emotion work in tandem, and the, the artifice is not a crutch for the emotion. Uh, I think that's why Grand Budapest works so well, um, is, is he is using the construction of the like multiple narratives and different size of the frames, but he doesn't hold back any of the story. He doesn't hold back any of the characters' emotions. Um and and even French Dispatch, which um Well and and Pete knows that I did not respond well to either of those movies. <gasps> so this is really this Martha! is really the first movie this is the first movie of his that I have enjoyed since Darjeeling Limited. Uh, Mr. Fox. Um, oh, yeah. Okay. Fantastic well, Mr. Well, Fox. Apparently we just have inverted Wes Anderson opinions because I hate Darjeeling. Yes. And <laughs> I, I won't say I hated this movie. Uh, I think truly the only Wes Anderson movies I hate are Darjeeling and uh, what's the one with Bill Life Moore? Aquatic. Life Aquatic. God, what, what's movie. the one with Bill Murray? Wow, you're really narrowing I it down there on your Bill Anderson. Murray is Jacques Cousteau. Okay, I was getting there. Um, like those are the only Wes Anderson movies that I would say I hate. Um, and, and Pete, you're probably right. Like Wes Anderson is one of the few filmmakers where I have movies of his that I love, and I have movies of his that I hate. Yeah. Um, and I have several that are in between. Um, and for me, I think Asteroid City was just in between because I think it was it felt like it was leading to it almost felt like it was trying to lead to some grand like tying all you know tying everything together and it never did and it it felt like it it felt unfinished and it well it felt both unfinished and underdone or and overdone it felt Mm -hmm. unfinished in terms of it didn't and obviously I'm sure this was intentional, but it did not resonate with me. It did not connect with me. Uh, there were so many different ways to interpret those last, that last, those last couple of scenes. Um, and so like, it didn't seem to actually lead anywhere. Um, and it, it seemed like it was just hiding behind, um, the different like mediums. It was trying to tell the story through between, 
you know, the film set versus the acting school versus the, like, actual play production. Like, it, there was just one too many layer. And I, I understand when filmmakers want to challenge you. But I also think the flip side of that is that you've got to, you've got to give viewers enough to connect to. And for me, well, this one did not. And see, for me, a lot of that felt like Wes Anderson going, is this what you want? <laughs> um, like, it, it felt like a very direct response to, I think, a lot of the criticism that he has gotten about artifice and pretentiousness. And yeah, it, it worked for me. Oh, and for I, me, I think he just yeah. dug in more. And I was like, okay, you, you, you're just going to make this more incomprehensible. Listen, I will sit here for an hour and a half of Wes Anderson going like 18 layers deep on a Matryoshka doll and then coming out of it and nothing else happens in the movie. That sounds great. (laughs) I don't know. And and this movie was probably hurt by the fact that I think we had pretty recently rewatched Grand Budapest. And I think this movie just pales in comparison to that. Um, I can't stand Grand Budapest. I'm sorry. I love you both. I know that I'm the differing opinion on that one. Uh, Pete, what is your next movie? <laughs> yeah. uh, my number six, I have definitely talked recently as I stuck in my head because I finished it fairly recently. It's the only book on my list, and that's because I, and, and even then it's a cheat. Um, this was published in November 2022, but it is the book, the only book that I read that was published most recently. I don't know. I, I did not read any books actually published in 2023. And I felt bad having no books on my list. And also, I love this. It's Children of Memory by Adrian Tchaikovsky, the third in his Children of Time hard sci-fi trilogy about um, various uh, hum- uh, Earth life forms on distant terraformed worlds who have been uplifted via a um, uh, a virus, a, a um, genetically modifying virus, so that we have uh, hyper-intelligent spiders and hyper-intelligent octopi. And in this third book, we have hyper-intelligent corvids who don't believe they have sentient. They, they don't believe that they are sentient. They believe that they are like thinking machines. Um, and it's it's a kind of a big, grand exploration into artificial intelligence and a bunch of other things. Um, it's a very yeah, interesting you, book, and I love it. Yeah, you've definitely talked about this one yeah. on the podcast before, and I, I will read it at some point, I promise. Yeah. yeah uh but it's 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 a great one it's a bit of a cheat but it was too good for me to not uh put on on my list number five is the boy and the heron uh if you want to go real deep on this one our last episode was with catching up david it was two and a half hours long about miyazaki it was great uh the boy and the heron was fantastic and i'm looking forward to re-watching it in the english dubbed i watched it subtitled um and i'm i'm getting more and more excited to watch it dubbed as soon as i'm able to yeah this was my number nine um it it really i'm gonna have to watch it again this is not i'm still trying to crack Mm -hmm. um but i can recognize the artistic achievement and the depth of emotion i just am still trying to find my way into this one yeah uh, it, it's uh, there's a conversation on Blue Sky today that I stumbled on that um, reminded me of something that I love of Miyazaki, and this is comes up in a lot of his stuff, where there is there's something magical that one character knows, and it's just like, all right, you have to hold your breath now. It's like, why? No, 
because that's the rule. You have to hold your breath now. <laughs> you know, uh, it's not explained. It's not nothing. And I love those moments because it makes the world feel so rich and dangerous, but also you have a guide and and it's not something that needs explaining. It's just, this is what we do. Um, and, and those moments appear throughout Miyazaki movies, but a, a few times in The Boy and the Heron where I was really like, oh, the, um, thinking specifically, uh, Marin hasn't seen it yet, um, so I'm not going to spoil anything. Uh, but there's a moment where uh, ma- uh, Mahito is saved by someone and the person is like, all right, you have to hold your back or hold your breath and walk backwards. And I'm like, ah, oh, this is so good <laughs> because there's no reason for why you have to do that. But that's how the magic works. Um, yeah, so there we go. Uh, my number four is uh, the only video game on my list. It is Zelda Tears of the Kingdom, uh, the new Zelda game sequel to Breath of the Wild. It's like Breath of the Wild, but even bigger. Uh, and I'm, I played it a lot over the summer and then I took a break and then I have started playing it a lot again this past December. And every time I play, it's just fantastic. Um, over the holidays, I got to watch my youngest brother, uh, beat it because he'd been stuck for a while and we all, we all brought our switches down to my, my parents' house. Uh, and he put it up on the TV and, uh, beat, beat Ganon on it. So that was fun. Um. Martha, I don't actually know if you were if you played any Breath of the Wild this year or uh, Tears of the Kingdom. I well, I did not. Um, I I did not really click with Breath of the Wild, mm. so this was not a priority for me. Sure, sure. Uh, my number three is Killers of the Flower Moon, Martin Scorsese's epic. Um, who else has it on their list? I do. Yeah, Martin, uh, just got Martin. Yours. I have not. I have not seen it yet. Mm. This is on my, if I had seen it, it would probably be on my list. Yeah. But yeah, I haven't, I haven't seen it yet. This is one I would love to rewatch. I am, when you do get around to seeing it, I would be curious and a rewatch would fix this for me too, of seeing how it plays at home. Um, Because part of the, like it's, it's three and a half hours long but it's it's so riveting when you're in a movie theater when when you have to devote your total attention to it. I wonder if it plays as well at home when you can have distractions, when you can take breaks. Um, I... Boy, I watched Drive My Car twice in my own home. Do not speak to me of distractionless home viewing. I also watched <sighs> Drive My Car in my own home, and I, I think I would have enjoyed it more seeing it in a theater, but... Um... Uh, but but Drive My Car has a different like it's not as long. It's um That's false. <laughs> it, Drive My Car is not three and a half hours long. It's like three hours. I I think also though there is something to and I mean it's not quite to the level of um sorry. What I'm trying to get at is I I think the visuals are helped, probably helped by being on a green big screen. Like mm. it you know, it's not a um, major action movie or like something where you know the visuals aren't necessarily showy but I think that there is a lot because it is so centered in this community I, I think there are a lot of like beautiful shots that are probably helped by being seen by on the game but ne- this is also kind of a moot point because I, I mean unless like there's some theater that's gonna like put it back in um, which it might depending on Oscar 
Yeah, but I I do think that there was something to seeing it in a theater, seeing it with a fellow audience. Um, I, I do think it is. And this also might be, sorry, confession time for the pod. Pete and I have a terrible habit of, like, we we often comment we often have a running commentary during movies at home we're not monsters yeah obviously we're not doing this in the theater so good clarification obviously um but yeah obviously i think sometimes too you know it's good for us specifically to see movies in the theater where it's like okay we can't talk although did we whisper a lot during napoleon yes we probably did sorry everyone else was in that theater i would like to keep us i would like to keep us on track i will (laughs) never argue i will never argue that a theatrical experience is superior however I am very firmly on the side of the democratization of film, which includes me being able to watch Tenet on my 3DS screen um, <laughs> if I so choose. So <laughs> tell us tell us about Killers of the Flower Moon and why it's making your list. Um, I, both so of you, it, since it's on both of your yeah, lists. Yeah. Uh, what, where is it on your list? Number two. Okay, dang. All right, yeah. Well, and I, I rated that, so I did... Uh, I guess this is not really a spoiler because none of y'all care. But I I literally went through my letterbox and like plucked out what I rated highest. Um, that is why was, I keep a running list. Yeah, and this this was my second <laughs> highest rated. Or actually, no, I think it tied with number one. But like I got I gotta go with my heart there, as you all hear. Um, I I mean I think that the best way I can describe it is that leaving that theater after that film. You truly felt like you went through an experience, mm-hmm. and and like the best way that film transports you, and and not to imply that this is a like, because so often I think we talk about being transported in like a frivolous way, a, a positive way. way. Yeah, yes, and this is obviously not that. <laughs> this is you're transported but, through an emotional ringer. Yeah, and and I think that it is a movie that. I think it strikes that balance of demanding a lot from its audience, but also giving them, um, oh, and I'm like trying to work around, like I don't want to, it's so weird to say spoilers for like a movie that's based on you, history. The, the thing is you cannot spoil the last 10 minutes of the movie. It's yeah. like that, that is yeah. such a powerful ending well, and to I, film. I wasn't going to bring up that part, yeah. but yeah, like that it takes you... Yeah, it really takes you on a journey, and a, a journey that is, um, I think, painful. I mean, and it almost feels flippant to to say painful, because here it is, you know, this history that happened. And I, I think this movie demands that we look at this history. And I think that... Um, yeah, I, I I think you you leave. I I think that this film does the best things that film can do, which is I don't want to say change perspective because that's not what it's doing here. But I think that it's calling attention to history that has been forgotten. It is making folks is making its viewers connect and i mean and martha obviously being in the library world you so often hear the term i mean we talk about in the library world all the time the term windows and mirrors and i think yep. this 
this movie does both. I mean, and and you know, it's it's a bunch of masters of their craft at absolutely top of the game. Uh, Scorsese so often has movies that are indictments of their main characters, but often that's lost because, and this is not an indictment of Scorsese, this is an indictment of his audience, but like, you know, Wolf of Wall Street, Goodfellas, it's so fun watching them do bad things that when they get their comeuppance at the end, a segment of the popular, a segment of the audience forgets that it's an indictment of these characters and that Scorsese hates these guys. Uh, and instead everyone's like, oh, this is pretty cool. This movie, you never once forget that the main character, like that the, you know, what? No, you never once forget that they're either gormless idiots or like cruel monsters, you know? Um, Martin's giving me a look. I, I think this movie... It, I am I am trying to prevent like if Martha I I want Martha to have an experience of like not knowing too much before she hits play. I don't disagree with what you're saying. To be clear, okay. okay. I just don't want you to. I'm not. I'm not going to again. Give it feels too much weird. Away. It feels weird to say spoilers about something that is like a hundred year old history, but like yeah. I mean, then I guess I walked in knowing all that, and you walked in not. Yes. So, and yeah. I, I, if Martha has not read the book, I want her to walk in not exactly knowing what's about to happen. Because mm-hmm. I think that might well, be your experience. Uh, well. <laughs> and if you've um, read the book, it's all the point. I was going to say, I appreciate the sentiment. Um I have read portions of the book. I am very familiar with the story here. Um, I also did a lot of reading about the Osage Nation's reaction to the movie and how um, deeply grateful they were to um, how Scorsese worked with them and really reframed the story from the book to kind of refocus it on the... um, on the Osage victims rather than on the formation of the FBI. Yeah. Um, it, the, Pete, you, you dropped a, you dropped a reference when I was talking about Yellowface to the fact that that would be relevant to our talking about this. And I think that it is important to recognize that Scorsese is not a first nations person and that in an ideal world, the story would have been told from an Osage an Osage nation creator but that because he is who he is, he could tell it this way. He could get it made um, and involve the nation in as many ways that he could. Well, and not, um, not to go into to too much more detail, but this movie is this movie in Scorsese in it, like in the text of the film is aware of that. And it it, it is yes. one of the most it is one of the most. um astonishing but also um the the last 10 minutes of this film are some of the the boldest filmmaking i've ever seen out of any director in terms of like acknowledging complicity and acknowledging outsider status and acknowledging that they're not the right person to tell the story and this is coming from like an 80 year old italian american from new york right like like that level of, of awareness is just incredible And I do think there is an argument to be made that, like, if he knew that, then why did he make that movie? And again, it's because he's Martin Scorsese. Yeah, I mean, if if he didn't make this movie, no one else would have. And, you know, it's important that this movie is made. I don't know that that's true. This movie would not have been, like, distributed by Apple and seen by, you know, millions of people. Correct. Yeah. Uh, What is your next movie? Uh, My next, my number two is Da Bear. Uh, we talked about the bear season two, so we're going to keep on, keep on moving. Um, 
It rules. Go it watch rules. it. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> my number one is Oppenheimer. Uh, and it's also partly Barbenheimer as a, like, event. Cultural uh, moment. <laughs> yeah, because that was just really flipping cool that everyone was on board with both of these movies. Any other year, you'd have, like, dude bros protesting Barbie, and then, you know, it'd be stupid. Uh, but instead, we have Barbie as the highest grossing movie of the year, and we have Oppenheimer as, like, the second highest grossing movie of the year, which is insane. It, it was not. It was not. It was, like, it third definitely... highest grossing. It was in the top five, and it was a three-hour... in the U.S., but not globally. Uh, yeah, in the U.S. Like, it was, you know, for a three-hour biopic about the atomic bomb, that, oh, yeah. that's no, astonishing. It it really... I, I think that Oppenheimer owes a lot more to Barbie than Barbie owes to Oppenheimer. Oh, 100%. Um, but we, we figured out as a culture how to make them play together and not be pitted against each other. And I'm so happy yes. that that happened. And I feel like I heard a story where I think people asked Margot Robbie if they were going to move Barbie to not conflict with Oppenheimer. And she was oh, like... Yeah. And she said... She said, you guys move. <laughs> yeah. Well, and, and of course, that like so. at the beginning, that was all a lot of like palace intrigue with like Warner Brothers being mad at like Warner Brothers picked that weekend because that was Nolan's weekend and Nolan had just jumped ship and blah, blah, blah. Palace intrigue. Nobody cares. Yeah. Um, Oppenheimer's incredible. It looks like it's going to steamroll through the uh, award season. Um, I've seen it twice. I'm we'll excited see. to watch it for a third time. Uh and it's astonishing that this movie got made, and it's astonishing that this movie made, like, over $900 million, <laughs> and that everyone saw it, and that everyone's reaction was, good movie! Um, even though you have jokes about it being so long, most people who saw it, and, like, first off, most people saw it, which is crazy, and then second off, most people who saw it enjoyed it, which is kind of crazy, considering how formally innovative it is like structurally innovative yeah. it is well and i think i mean i think chris nolan is like one of if not the only filmmaker working right now who gets to be both an auteur and a blockbuster filmmaker yeah because even scorsese doesn't actually draw at the blockbuster not at all yeah no i think i think nolan is in a unique position um where he... um i i think Greta Gerwig also falls into that category. We, we'll have to wait and see on her. That's the thing. She's she's currently yes, but get a couple more movies under the belt, and then she'll absolutely be in that position. And that's no knock on I, Greta. I love Greta. Like yeah, because she is. What, I mean, how many she's directed? How many movies? Like, I guess, how many movies do you need from her before? Well, I'm just saying, like, <laughs> Nolan's got 12 movies under his belt, and they've all, since, like, you know, since Batman Begins, they've all performed well at the box office and critically. Um, we've got Little Women, we've got Lady Bird, and we've got uh, Barbie. That's Gerwig's three. And they all made good money. B Barbie's obviously, like, the, the runaway success. Little Women made its money back, but it wasn't, like, uh, you know, um, uh, doing gangbusters at the block. Like, everyone was very happy with how it went, but it wasn't, like, a blockbuster in the same way. Um, I'm just saying, like, once once Greta gets two or three more, you know, blockbuster movies, then, yeah, she's absolutely in that same position as Nolan and maybe no one else who can make whatever the heck movie she wants, as weird as she wants it, and still bring in $900 million, you know? Yeah, so I haven't seen Oppenheimer. Greta Gerwig apparently directed a fourth film, which nobody knows about, called Nights and Weekends. 
Hmm. Um, compared to Nolan has directed 17. 17? I haven't wow. seen... I haven't seen Oppenheimer. I'm sorry. I will because it'll get nominated for Best Picture. I gotta tell you, I am happy for this man. I am still not excited about seeing it, but I guess I'll let you know how I feel about it after I do see it. What makes you not excited to see it? It is three hours of old historical white men, and that historically has not been my cup of tea. I have also been told that the first hour is a Wikipedia entry, and that makes me feel like, why did we need to do that first hour? Um, I think that's unfair. I think it's an unfair characterization. It is. I mean, okay. it definitely is taking <laughs> yeah, <all> I... <laughs> time. But... Yeah. And like I said, I I will see it because it is going to be part of the Oscar conversation. Um, I just. Yeah, I missed it in theaters because I wasn't hyped to see it. And I I haven't really heard anything that kind of makes me hyped to see it. But I'm trying very hard to withhold actual opinion until it's... I'm, I'm trying really hard to give it a fair shake because, okay. yeah. I mean, um, I, I think it does deserve a fair shake for as much as it is a biography of an old white man. I think it is doing really interesting things with both its form and its performances. And I mean, listen, I will, I mean, Christopher Nolan's best film will always be Dunkirk because he had a like legitimate reason to not include female characters. <laughs> <laughs> yep. So, um, yeah, there, there's always that. That is always his, uh, that is always his, uh, Achilles heel. Yeah. yeah. But I also I, I do... thought that, I also thought Interstellar sucked major. Yeah, I don't love Interstellar. <laughs> yeah. I'm not um... I'm not an Interstellar defender. You'll have to duke that one out with Pete. Um but uh yeah, no, I I think this is a really interesting I mean, to be fair, I had it as what, number three on my list. Um but I, I think it was also similar to Killers of the Flower Moon. It was it, it was a movie that took you on a journey. And it was a movie that um i think was both simultaneously trying to commemorate and complicate the legacy of this man and i think that it it did it in a really interesting and innovative way um i think there's some terrific performances um it probably could have been 20 minutes shorter um but I didn't also feel like it was lagging. Like, I never felt bored. So I, I do think it is, if you also hate Interstellar, I think there's a chance you might like this more. Yeah, I, I, would, say that they're, I would say that they're so fully unrelated to each other that, yeah. Yeah, <laughs> that is, it's not actually relevant like, to compare Did them. you like Dunkirk? I thought Dunkirk was fine. I thought the conceit was interesting. Um, I certainly liked it more than the other World War II movie we got at that same time. Um, Do you mean yeah, I had a good time World watching War it. One movie, nineteen seventeen. I thought it came out the same year as The Darkest Hour. Oh, oh I forgot Darkest about The Darkest Hour, and that is better for everyone <laughs> that we just all collectively agreed to forget about Darkest Hour. 
Yeah, so uh, um, so that was that was my list. That was my top ten. I should have done some uh, Trinity esque countdown uh, <laughs> to get me to Oppenheimer, but I didn't. So there we go. Um, Fantastic. Yeah. So th- so that was my list. Uh, Marin. All right. Hit us your, hit us with your list, and this might go a little faster. Just yeah, because say, uh, there are a couple of there are a couple <laughs> things we can knock out, but I do actually have a fair amount that neither of you have talked about. So yeah. I'm sorry. I will try to go. Faster. Okay, my number 10, uh, Slow Horses, and this might be recency bias, but dang, that show's fun. Um, I also appreciate that Apple puts out those seasons like clockwork. You see it was um, review, or renewed for season five? I did indeed see that, <laughs> but it, it's just a, a great ride, and to ping pong from uh, a Gary Oldman performance that we all agreed to forget to Gary Oldman actually like doing great work um slow horses it's great uh love love his work in it love Kristen scott thomas getting work love the whole like wacky team of weirdos um so yeah this was slow horses season three and slow horses is about the uh the absolute dregs of british mi5 yeah so it's like mi5 officers who have like messed up in some way and they get assigned to this like tangential um location of the agency and basically are given like paperwork and like the stuff nobody else wants to do um and it is is not about what i thought for a very long time (laughs) uh it is not about cowboys it is not about cowboys there's no cowboys there's no racing (laughs) and there is no horses um but they're called the slow horses because the place where they work is called slough house and so somehow that gets transmuted into slow horses. Um, and, yep, it's great. Uh, yeah, it's just a, a fun little spy family. And if, if you like La Carree, you'll like slow horses. Yeah, and I think it does a, a good job balancing, like, balancing tension and humor and pathos. And, I, I, yeah, I think it's a great job. Uh, so yeah, yeah my gonna... parents have... My parents have recommended this one to me. I will definitely get around to it at some point. Yeah. You need Apple for it, so that's, you know. Yeah, and of course Apple never puts out physical media, unfortunately. But yeah. I borrow my sis I borrow my sisters so that uh, I can watch great. Monarch Legacy of Monsters. Yes. Uh, which I could not in good conscience put on my list because it's not done yet. Uh, we done tomorrow. Me neither. Uh, me neither, but very so- into it. Same, yeah. Same. <laughs> Okay, so yeah, Slow Horses, number 10. Uh, number 9, uh, a show I'm sure confident neither of you watched, uh, Jury Duty. Um, I haven't watched it, but I've heard such good heartwarming things about it. And I think, for me, Jury Duty has to make the list. And I, I say this as someone who does not like reality television. Like, not to shame anyone. I, if The Bachelor makes you happy, awesome. Like, I'm glad that reality television seems to make so many folks happy. It is just not generally for me beyond, like, HGTV. Um, and so I, I am not, a, I, I say this coming as not a reality television person, but I think this show was both unique and heartwarming. Uh, for those of you who don't know, the whole setup of the show is that uh, this one man shows up for what he thinks is jury duty. But in reality, everyone in the room, from the judge to the bailiff to the other jurors to the folks in this case, are all actors. 
Um, and he is being, the show is about his reaction to, I mean, literally kind of the plot these folks have con- have created. And one of the jurors is James Marsden as James Marsden, right? Yeah, it's James yeah. Marsden playing himself. Um, and yeah, and it's just, it's, it's lovely and it, um, yeah, I think it's unique. Um, and I think that it, um, it's truly hilarious and it manages to toe the line of being not of having some gangs but never being crass um and yeah it, it's just lovely uh highly recommend i binged it on our plane flight back from the uk this spring and it made summer or summer sorry uh, and it made that plane flight so much better um yeah I uh, really enjoyed Dirty Duty. Um, I'm I'm gonna take that sentence out of context and uh, yeah, there we go. I in real life enjoyed uh, getting. Well, no, I didn't get out of Dirty Duty. I was a reserve juror and I was never called, but I did my due diligence to make sure I didn't need to show up. Um, okay, uh, number eight I have on here is Joyride. Um, I think that. Uh, Joyride is, you know, I guess I'm just leaning into the comedies here for a moment. Um, but I think that like comedies are consistently undervalued critically. And I think that Joyride really is, um, you know, threads a needle of letting, of, of pathos and humor. And it is, I, I think, I mean, it's probably best described as the, female version of the hangover um so it's about this group of four women um who are kind of thrown together as one of them so one of them is um well two of them are best friends who grew up in the same town um they are both um asian american one grew up in an asian american family the other was adopted by white parents um and so has not quite felt connected to her heritage um and so the story is they both end up along with uh the best friend's cousin and then the main character's roommate from college who has moved to china um they all end up she has a business trip to shanghai um and so they all end up wacky hijinks and they they end up they all four of them end up there wacky hijinks ensue they go on a uh, kind of a crazy adventure, um, and um, yeah, and I just yeah, I thought it was it was really fun, um, really funny, had a lot of heart, um, and I want them to make more movies like it. Uh, yeah, I'm bummed. I'm bummed. Just want to say I'm bummed. I haven't seen this one yet. I'm really looking forward to it. I'm quite sure I will have a good time. Oh yeah, you. I I I think you will deeply enjoy it. Is it is it too far afield for Love You? Oh, it's yeah. not. It's not a rom com. No, yeah, it okay. is not a okay. rom com. Yeah. It is. It is definitely not a rom com. Um. Okay. Uh, number seven, I had on my list was actually a book. Um, that I did listen to. I tend to only listen, or I tend to only consume nonfiction. Uh, via audiobook. Uh, I guess I like my nonfiction as podcasts. <laughs> um, and uh, that is uh, sure I'll join your cult. Uh, by Maria Bamford. Um, and it's her kind of chronicles of joining different 
uh, 12-step programs and like her different ways to be part of groups um, and you know how that has I mean, on one hand she is a comedian so it's very funny uh, but it is also kind of a poignant reflection on her journey like through her mental health and and she as a comedian has always been very open about you know she has been diagnosed with bipolar and OCD um, and so has encountered a lot of uh, challenges um, and if and if you watch the show Lady Dynamite, she literally, like, made a whole show about that. Um, so, but yeah, the book is, the book is a little more serious, but still very funny. Um, I feel very connected to her as someone who also grew up in northern Minnesota and loves pugs. Um, actually, the most stirring part of the book, uh, one, one uh, segment that I, I really connected to is her talking about how much she loves her pugs. Um, and actually, the death of one of her pugs, like, triggered a major mental health crisis um so anyway i i connect to her strongly um and yeah i thought it was a it was a wonderful book um and we did also get to see her live uh she performed uh stand up um she was doing it both a stand up and a book tour this fall so we we did not go to the book tour part of the stop but we we did get to get a chance to see her in person which was also awesome uh, her opener is from Milwaukee, and so made several Milwaukee jokes. Um, so, yeah, it was it was great. Uh, so Brad. number seven, uh, yeah, and number six, I have uh, the Bear season two, which we've already covered. Woohoo! Love the Bear. Uh, number five, I am shocked. Three, three, three. <laughs> three, three. I am shocked. Shocked! I that I am the only one to have this on my list. You you two should both go stand in a corner. It's on my honorable mentions. <laughs> uh, and and that is uh across the Spider Verse. Um, no, it's on. It's, it's on, on my list. It's oh, on, it is on your list. Yeah, we haven't done uh, Martha's oh, movie. Oh, I missed your segments. Okay, never mind. We'll put Pete in the corner. It's, it's on my honorable mentions. <laughs> it's my number uh, eight. Okay. <laughs> um. Yeah, so yeah, uh, Cross Spider-Verse, which I wonder is kind of hard to judge because it is part one, um, and it is very much part one of... That is why it is number eight and not higher yeah, for me. But I'm very intrigued where this is going. Um, yeah, I, I won't say I loved it as much as uh, um, Into the Spider-Verse, which is why it's only number five um, and not higher, but... I think if I had rewatched it recently, it might have made it onto my list. Okay. Um, I realized that making making my list, I realized that I, I loved it so much, but I also don't have a strong memory of it, if that makes sense. Okay. Um, so I, I would have wanted to, you know, I, I, I want to watch it another time, and then it'll probably bump up in my estimation. Oh, okay. Um, bump up no, in my estimation. Me, like... I already loved it. It was a five-star film. <laughs> <laughs> like... <laughs> It it is well, and it is not a five star movie for me. Four and a half. I think um, it was the four fact and a half for me. that yeah, I think it was four and a half. For yeah, me. the fact that the fact that it is so strongly a part one, um, I did not feel that it stood on its own, and yeah, I fair. think I think that all movies, regardless of their place in a trilogy, should have their own concluding arcs, and I did not feel that this one did. However what they are doing with animation continues to be insane. Yes. The, the stuff in Gwen's world is just the most beautiful thing I've ever seen animated. Um, did you go in knowing that this was a part one? Or, because I know some people left being like, I had no idea it was a part one. I'm very mad. 
Um, but I, oh, no, I, always, I did. Yeah. Okay. Good. Good. Yeah, going in knowing that sort of helped cushion that that yeah, yeah. Uh, lack of resolution. Yeah, yeah, and I do think, I mean, yeah, it is, I'm intrigued by where it's going. Um, yeah, I think it'll be better to judge once it is one, one complete story. Um, but I enjoyed it very much. Uh, number four, and... I'm not surprised that neither of you have this. Uh, my number four is uh, The Gilded Age Season 2, um, which I have been very tickled uh, this summer by, I think, everybody. Uh, the Gilded Age has kind of exploded into the cultural consciousness. I don't think it wasn't popular in its first season, but I think it has kind of reached a new peak in Season 2. Um, and I, th I think it's a much stronger Season 2 than it was in Season 1. Um, there are many criticisms to be had of Julian Fellows. Um, yeah, and that's fine. Uh, he's, I don't know. There are many criticisms to be had of his, but gosh darn it, like. I have heard the hats are fantastic. Oh my god, it's so much fun. It's just so much fun. Um, it's just so much fun. Like. <laughs> It, it's a, a great, like, turn your brain off, just vibes. And pretty hats and pretty dresses and lots of horses, which terror, you know. Tough, 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 tough for one of our, our more active uh, television watchers. Um, but yeah, it's great. And I think this season really uh, finally realized that its main character is its least interesting character. <laughs> and so actually decided to, to focus on. Uh, the most interesting members of its ensemble. Um, okay. Oh, and I probably should say, so for those who don't know, uh, The Gilded Age is a, kind of upstairs, downstairs, um, about centering on two families who live across the street from each other in, as you can guess from the title, Gilded Age New York. Um, and it's kind of the story of old money versus new money. Um, and it's great. And Carrie Coon should get all the award nominations. And it's great. Is it great? It is. <laughs> uh, it is so much fun. And it was so much fun to check Twitter every week right after it. Because I think um, everyone, like me, I mean, one thing you guys say for Julian Fellows, he is the master, just like drawing you in and gripping you in and ending an episode right on the right note where you're like, no, what happens next? So anyway, love it. Uh, okay, so as we previously discussed, my number three was Oppenheimer. My number two was Killers of the Flower Moon. Um, and my number one. Uh, and I literally... I think I only had these three films rated as five stars from 2023, and I've just got to go with my heart here. Uh, the number one experience from film experience for me this year would be uh, Taylor Swift, The Heiress Tour. Uh, You're right, and you should say it. <laughs> thank you. I believe I am. Uh, and, and in conjunction with her release of uh, Taylor's versions of Speak Now and 1989, which are both uh, very important albums to me. Uh, Speak Now was the first Taylor Swift album I really got into. Um, 
Although I gotta say, there's been some weird revisionism about what songs were big from that album. So it was real weird for me this summer being like, wait, why is everyone playing those songs? Those were not the songs we listened to when the album came out, people. Anywho. That's not revisionism. <laughs> anyway, not we're not <laughs> having this conversation right um, now. And uh, yeah, in 1989, I think is a, was a very like important album of my like young adulthood. And I think it, you know, I can so remember like the place and time and like I, I just feel like there was a season of my life that was soundtracked to that album um so it holds a holds a special place in my heart um but yeah the movie itself um i mean i don't think it needs any explaining it is a film of taylor swift's concert that this was a great year for concert films. We had this, we had Beyonce, we had Stop Making Sense. Yes. Like it, it really was a year where, and maybe because there was, you know, I, I guess next year is really when there's going to be a dearth of movies because of the strikes and everything. Right. But um, it, it is interesting that we had so many, like, you know, important concert films coming out this right. year. Right. No, it is. Um, And I mean, I think it, yeah, we were kind of in the moment of, you know, post, well, not post-COVID, but post-vaccine, kind of this whole uh, desire to have concerts again and have these major concerts. Um, but yeah, I think the... Um, well, and I, I really love that these, that these film, that these theatrical events make these concerts accessible to people. Yes. Because, like, the era's tickets were impossible to get and they were so expensive and they all sold out really really quickly and this gives people a chance to still experience it and experience it in a group setting yeah absolutely although i have to say i think i did go the wrong uh theater setting i went with all the tweens um at our local no, art that's, house no, that's they, the they did, that's... no they did not sing oh what <laughs> i know i like my friends and I were like kind of cautiously on a couple songs, like, do we start? But no, they sat and watched it. It was real weird. You needed to take the leadership and show the youths how it's done. <laughs> we weren't gonna pressure the tweens anyway. So yeah, I did God, not. Those get... drunk old women are singing along. This is so <laughs> embarrassing. Uh, yeah, with my. Uh... Anyway, uh, yeah. So I I didn't get quite the the like. Singing at the top of the lungs, uh, kind of going to church type theatrical experience, but it was still really fun to see on a big screen. And I have, I did rewatch it while Pete had COVID, um, because I was like, ooh, what's something I can watch that people won't watch with me? Um, and yeah, it was really fun to just see like all the artistry that goes into it and, um, all of. You know, getting to like see in three hours all the ways that Taylor Swift has reinvented herself. Um, and I think that, you know, it's been really interesting for someone who's been a Taylor Swift fan for a long, long time. Um, it's been, I don't want to gatekeep Swifty Dumb, um, but it, it has been really kind of interesting and a little disconcerting to, to go from being kind of the pop culture underdog um to she was on top of the world to back to being reviled to now like the unquestioned like most the, famous the only current monoculture figure yeah, out there exactly. in a way so it, it, it is a little disconcerting um and again not that i want to gatekeep 
Swifty dumb, but I think the reverse of that is, you know, having been, having lived through many of those, if not, no, I won't say all, but many of those eras, um, I, I think there's just a whole nother level of, um, not only remembering the music, but feeling like you have grown up with Taylor and remembering where you were in your life while you were listening to that music. Where were you when you first heard Tears Fall on My Guitar? <laughs> well, that one actually skipped me by. I did not I I did not listen to that album till much later. But I mean I have such vivid memories of bus rides to songs from Speak Now and uh college parties dancing to songs from Red and being made fun of for liking songs from Red and um yeah. Like, you know, as as the Hold Steady says, certain songs get scratched into our souls. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And I, I I think and yeah, I, I think there is just something special about like having grown up like with you feel like you've grown up with her. Um so anyway, so that was that was my, my best uh media experience this year. Uh, so yeah, Martha, do you want to talk about two movies? I do. And actually, uh, most of my movies have not been talked about yet. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, good. Uh, but we will, we will proceed through these. So yeah, my top 10 movies of the year. Number 10, Talk to Me, Australian horror movie. Um, this one gets placement... Uh, purely because I absolutely believe that if a group of teenagers found a cursed mummified hand that facilitated demonic possession, they would use it as a party drug and post it on TikTok. <laughs> like the yeah. the way that these teens react to this thing is so rings so true. Um, <laughs> Also, it's real creepy. The lead actress is incredible. Very fun theatrical experience. Um, But yes, I I think that the directors really knew what they were doing when they thought about how teens would would like actually respond to this very haunted thing. Uh, Number nine, Boy and the Heron. Number eight, Spider-Man Across the Spider-Verse. Number seven is Bottoms, Mm. uh, the female-driven comedy starring Rachel Sennett and Ayo Edabiri. Uh, this movie is the funniest thing I've seen all year. It's incredible. Um, it is like a teen sex, a teen high school sex romp, only starring two uh, lesbians, which is a fun twist. Um, Maren, I really think that you should watch this movie. <laughs> I was I was trying to talk Marn into watching it at some point, but uh, neither of us have. I I'm the one more bullish it's so, on it. It's so silly. It's like, a Marshawn the, Lynch the opening... is their uh, teacher, right? Yes, and there's nothing about this movie that says we are taking anything seriously at all. Yeah. Um, uh, number six is Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles: Mutant Mayhem. Yes, you all heard right. I did <laughs> rank this movie higher than Across the Spider Verse. What mm, this movie yeah. is well, it's, it's another uh um, Iowa Debory uh joint. <laughs> yeah, she is really having a moment. Yeah, she really um, is. No, the animation in this is great. Um, I don't think you get this movie unless 
um, into the Spider-Verse is as successful as it was. Mm-hmm. Um, but this movie, like, the comedy is on point. The animation is so fun. Um, the story is, like, very true to the TMNT kind of feeling. Um, and mostly, I, I really loved the Turtles. Like, I thought that they were great. Um, they're all voiced by actual teens, which was important to the movie makers. Um, and yeah, I just had a really good time. There were moments, like, I, I laughed out loud multiple times. Um, and I, I just, I really had fun with this movie. And I'm, I'm reading that Seth Rogen is Bebop, so that's, uh, that's pretty exciting. Oh, yeah. <laughs> They're, the, the cast, the voice cast is great. Uh, number five is Dungeons and Dragons Honor Among Thieves. Just yes. another truly good time I had at the movie theater. Um, this is like if if this is the kind of movie we get because of the success of superhero movies, everything will have been worth it. <laughs> I I loved this movie Everyone... so much, and the best part was the character named Jonathan, because as a DM, I have been in the position of like, oh no, I need an NPC name. His name is Jonathan. No, Jonathan. Jonathan. <laughs> um, I also think this movie is great because like you don't need to have any reference point for D and D to go and see it and enjoy it. Yeah. Um, it, it plays really well. as just a very fun fantasy adventure. And honestly, my pitch is if you like the Marvel movies, if you like guardians of the galaxy, go see this movie. Yes. 100%. It is the same kind. It is the same kind of humor only with 100% less Chris Pratt. And, and instead the better Chris. In fact, the superior Chris. Yes. <laughs> Uh, even uh, even my... some of the D and D specific stuff, like an owl bear, is just an inherently funny thing. So even if you don't know what an owl bear is, when the druid turns into an owl bear, it's like, oh, owl bear, owl plus bear, got uh-huh. it. Weird. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> uh, my number four is May December, which was a last minute sneaky uppy in there. Uh, it's a Netflix original, although I would have loved to see it in a theater. Um, do you guys know anything about this movie? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Um, uh, wait, again, sorry, we, 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 we haven't seen it, but, uh, you know, listening to enough movie podcasts, uh, aware of it. Yeah. Um, Julianne Moore and Natalie Portman are both doing things I've never seen them do before. Hmm. Um, Charles Melton is straight from Riverdale to playing Julianne Martin, uh, Julianne. Julianne Moore's Moore. Why yeah. I yeah, fully <laughs> uh to playing Julianne Moore's child husband. Um he really turns in a performance that will break your heart. Um he's, he's being put out there as a, a contender for best supporting actor up against RDJ, so uh Yeah, I, I think he turns in a really incredible performance. Yeah. The way that he um like there there are scenes in the back half of the movie where like you really understand how this has hurt him mm-hmm. in ways that he does not even fully understand. Mm. Um, yeah, it's an incredible movie. And again, it's very funny. Like none of the, you're watching this and I'm like, I wouldn't trust any single person in this movie with my grocery list. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, number three is asteroid city. Yeah. Number two Godzilla minus one, which <laughs> you guys, 
I no no no. I, it's, we it's, are not opposed to seeing it. We have not been able to. It's on my. I'm sad that I didn't get a chance to watch this yet. List. Oh no, I meant that more as just a like a, a general cultural. You guys, a general cultural like, yeah. This movie is a. It is a war epic that is deeply about loving your people and hating your government, like hating your country but trying to do your best to protect like the people that you love and who are important to you and also godzilla is there like that's it's incredible (laughs) it is very much about survival survivor's guilt and it is about so many things and also it's a giant monster movie and there is no way that a movie could have been more perfect for me Unless you were the number one movie on my list, which is John Wick 4. Yes. <laughs> I spent I spent the whole year. I saw this movie in March. Like it was or March or April. It was an it early was, release. It was March. We had our, our, our whole John Wick episode on it. I spent the whole year chasing the sense of euphoria <laughs> that I felt coming out of the theater of seeing John Wick 4. Of watching uh, I, Rina Sa- uh, Sawayama climb up someone's back using knives. <laughs> I truly felt like I was floating, like I had sublimated into the ether. Keanu Reeves is transcendently good in these movies. The cinematography is so beautiful. And just the way that they visualize action and fight scenes and the way that they do it like 18 different ways in each movie but it still feels like of a piece it's art like this is action movie as art and i hope they make them until the heat death of the universe and that is not even touching on whatever it is that the scars guard in this movie is doing because <laughs> oh man <laughs> yes uh i don't know if i laughed louder in a movie this year than the soccer course stare sequence. Um, be, because that, that is just like a, like that whole bit. And then, you know, the, the twist is, is like a Buster Keaton style, like gag. Uh, and it, it was, <laughs> it was truly incredible. I like a prolonged cackle in the movie theater. And yeah, just the whole warriors homage and the the top down. The, there's a scene oh, that they the, film top down in yes. a like dilapidated building where you can see everybody going in and out of rooms. It's just it's so good. It's perfect. Um, and truly, like no other movie this year, Godzilla minus one came close. No other movie this year made me feel the way that this movie made me feel. Yeah. Like I was watching something. That was changed, like rewriting my DNA. Well, I, I got to say, I, I watched this on uh, our flight back from the UK, and uh, it's not as good on an airplane. Uh, no. <laughs> I mean, it's fine, but it wasn't a transcendent experience uh, as a second watch airplane watch. So that's my only critique on it is that it doesn't translate to the back <laughs> of a, a headrest as well. <laughs> um so yeah, yeah, that's my top 10. Uh, really quick, I'm not going to spend a lot of time on these, but my my honorable mentions, um, they clone Tyrone, a very weird sci-fi Netflix movie that not enough people are talking about. It stars John Boyega. Uh, it's very weird. Go watch it. Um, 
Barbie, which showed up on none of our <laughs> no, lists. No, I, um, I think for, for both you and I, it's probably number like 11 or 12 or something. I like just, just, I really felt like Barbie sucked up a lot of the oxygen this year, which I mean, rightfully so it's great, but I kind of wanted to talk about other things. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, Megan, again, an early year release, but just such a fun time. <laughs> I forgot that it came out um, this year. <laughs> Yep. The Holdovers, which I thought was just beautiful, sentimental, fun. Um, I look forward to Paul Giamatti sniping that Oscar from Cillian Murphy. No. Uh, and then showing no. up, Kelly Reichardt's new movie, uh, which is about an artist in residence who undergoes an emotional uh, emotional growth via caring for a pigeon. So, <laughs> oh, so yeah, it's a Kelly Reichardt movie. <laughs> Correct. Starring Michelle Williams and Hong Chow. Oh, fun. Love both of them. Yeah, it rules. Uh, do you want to run through your, your other list? Your um your sad you didn't get to to think about it, and then we can both run Marn and I can both run through our uh honorable mentions. Nope. Okay. Okay. Cool. Well, I'll run through my <laughs> honorable mentions. <laughs> um Yes, yeah, so my, my honorable mentions are Barbie and the whole Barbenheimer event. I kind of tack that onto Oppenheimer too. Um we're 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 just so back. The movies, they're back. It's great. Um Slow Horses season three, Marin already discussed that one. Spider-Verse already discussed. John Wick already discussed. Um The Killer. This was uh, David Fincher's movie. I'm very upset with Netflix because they did not release it in any movie theater in the Milwaukee area. Um I I enjoyed it quite a bit. Uh, Martha, I know you and I disagree on that one. But regardless, I would have been so much... I would have been happy, happy to give Netflix 10 to 12 of my dollars to go watch it in a movie theater. But instead, I didn't because they didn't let me. Uh, and that's very frustrating. Um, I need to watch it again. Okay. Um, Yeah, I need to watch it again. I, I mean, I also, I love The Smiths, so that was very helpful. Uh... I have no emotional attachment to the Smiths. Sure. Um, I just bad Smiths needed go. to, yeah, I, I just need to, I think, yeah, I need to watch it again. Fair enough. Um, rounding up my honorable mentions is uh, the last act of Ferrari. I still keep thinking about it. I like the movie overall just fine. I think it's a mid-tier man, but, uh, which means it's like, you know, a solid B. <laughs> uh, like, even bad man is good. Um, but the last act is is sitting with me in some really interesting ways and I need people to see it so I can talk about it. <laughs> yeah. This um, one, this one is on my list of if I had gotten a chance to see it before recording, it probably would have been on my top 10. I just haven't seen it yet. Totally. Uh, and then last but not least, and this is a bit of a synecdoche for me generally being a little more into instrumental music this year and, and minimalism, uh, minimalist music. for uh, not mixing up synecdoche and maton. Oh, don't worry. I looked these up earlier <laughs> to figure out which one I, I needed to use. <laughs> um, uh, this is uh, Ryuichi Sakamoto's last album uh, titled 12. Uh, Ry Ryuichi Sakamoto is a electronic was an electronic minimalist composer who died earlier this year um marin you described this album as sleepy time music because it's just sound like it's it's soundscapes it's minimalism often mixed with uh um ambient recordings of like you know him walking around or him breathing or, or rain falling things like that um but it's really great to put on when you're reading or when you're writing or when you're working and you just need to like have something on in the background that's not going to be too distracting 
but also you can pay a close attention to it and get really pulled in. Um, I'm not going to compare it to Joe uh, Hisashi because that's not really a correct comparison, but it's the same idea of like we're playing with, you know, silence as well as sound. Um, which which I've also been listening to a lot of uh, Joe Hisashi uh, recently. Um, and I what what always strikes me about his um, uh, Miyazaki scores is the silence in them sometimes, uh, the pauses. So, yeah, uh, that's that's my honorable mentions. Uh, and I've got a real quick notable I wish things. These are things that I could not put on my list because I couldn't consume them. And the big one is Baldur's Gate three. I don't have 150 gigabytes on my computer to spend on a video game. So I, and I don't have a a problem. I know it is like, (laughs) could I clear some space? Probably, but I kind of don't want to. Uh, Also, my computer is just barely able to run it, even if I were to clear the space. And I don't know if that's the, the, you know, experience I want to have. Godzilla minus one didn't have the time. Uh, Zone of interest, a movie I'm really interested in seeing that is not playing anywhere in Milwaukee. Uh, which is very annoying. I think that's going to be a much harder movie to watch on streaming, um, just in terms of theatrical experience being very important. Uh, So I'm very, very mad that it's not playing in Milwaukee yet. I don't know if it ever will. Um, And finally, Cities... Yeah, go. Turn your phone off when you watch movies at home. It's it's not Turn just that. It's, shut the lights off. It's 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 <laughs> not just that. It's it's about the whole experience. Also, we have a a dog who's a very engaged audience member, <laughs> um, and that does change the timbre of a movie if you're watching where there are dogs barking in the background or horses in the foreground or you know things like that. Um, running, yeah, for sure. But also turn your phone off. Yeah, I mean, like, like yes, I can do those things, but that still isn't like. For something like Zone of Interest, I I would really, if my only option is streaming, fine. But I'm just very mad that I live in a, like, I'm not in New York, LA, or Chicago, but I'm in a major city, and it's not, it's not available anywhere yet. That's very frustrating. Um, and finally, uh, Cities Skylines 2, sequel to Cities Skylines, a very complicated SimCity game. Um, not available on the Mac. Very sad. Uh... So that's it. Those are those are the things that I wish I could have consumed, uh, but I can't for various reasons. Uh, Maureen, do you have a honorable mentions list you want to run through? Sure. Yeah, I have, I have uh, I guess, grouped by TV shows, uh, movies, and books. Uh, turns out I watch a lot of TV, uh, so this is quite a few TV shows. <laughs> um, but one TV I could not, a TV show I watched in 2023 um, that was probably... The, my favorite TV show I watched this year, but I came out in 2022, so I could not count it, is uh, Bad Sisters, uh, which is on Apple TV Plus, and is the story of, um, it is both a murder mystery and uh, kind of digging into the family dynamics. Um, it's these gr- it's this group of four sisters, um, and one of their husbands ends up dead, and that's all I'll say about the story. But it's a great show. It is it is one of those shows you got you have to give it a couple episodes and ever everything comes together beautifully. So it is worth investing in. Um but yeah, bad sisters. Um uh another one that uh I enjoyed just for the novelty, although um didn't necessarily love the characters, but uh Up Here, which was on Hulu, was a, a original musical um about two young people in nineties New York. 
Um, so I thought it was a fun concept. Um, and would have liked to have seen more. Um, I think it did get canceled, which is a bummer. Uh, next one, a show I think more people should be talking about, uh, which is Not Dead Yet, uh, which stars Gina I Rodriguez. loved Not Dead Yet. Oh my god, so good. So good. So fun. Um, so great. Um, and it's about, yeah, Gina Rodriguez um, has just uh, moved back from London uh, to, is it San Jose? Sacramento? I don't know. Doesn't matter. Let's Doesn't move matter. faster. Yeah. <laughs> Some, somewhere in California. Anyway, it's great. It's about her kind of re-entering back into her old life. So good. More people should watch it. Also, also she talks to ghosts. Also, she talks to ghosts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm missing the... I'm missing the, the key element. The key element. Yeah, she... Anyway. So good. Everyone should watch it. Uh, another one included on there that I could not include because... Well, we haven't watched the new season that's dropped in 2023 yet, but we did spend a good chunk of 2023 watching uh, seasons one through three of For All Mankind, um, which is a speculative kind of alternate history of what would have happened if the Russians won the space war. Space race. And I think think showed up on Pete's best of the year last year. I bet it did because uh, For All Mankind is a great time. Well, and maybe we started it yeah. end of last year, but we, we were watching the show for a while. Yeah. So I think we did carry it into, I don't know. Maybe we watched it around this time last year and I'm confused. Uh, uh, another one on here, uh, Poker Face on Peacock. Poker Face should be one of my honorable mentions as um, well. It's very fun. It's Natasha Leone as Columbo. Basically. Yeah, and Ryan Johnson. And Ra- by Ryan Johnson. Yep, super fun. That is a good one. Um, I am legally obligated to shout out uh, Hulu's movie uh, Quiz Lady, uh, which is uh, Aquafina and Sandra Oh playing sisters, and one of their pugs uh, gets kidnapped. Uh, so as a pug mom, I am <laughs> legally required to shout out Quiz Lady, uh, which was great. Um, and I think it's not getting enough love. Uh, got a couple rom-coms I really enjoyed this year, uh, Red, White, and Royal Blue, um, and Love at First Sight. Um, do you talk about those anymore? Both of which we did. Yeah, both of which we did did Love Love Yet episodes on. Yes. So, you can hear more of my thoughts about those other places. Uh, and then two other books I really enjoyed this year, probably the romance novel I enjoyed most this year, uh, is called You with a View by Jessica Joyce. Um, it is about a woman who discovers that her grandmother, uh, had a, a first love before her grandfather. Uh, she meets said first love, um, goes on a road trip to kind of relive their story, uh, with his maybe pretty hunky grandson. Uh, so the three of them, so it's kind of a fun road trip book. Um, it's pretty great. Uh, and then the last one I'll mention, um... Another nonfiction book I listened to this year that I really uh, got a lot out of was uh, You Just Need to Lose the Weight uh, by Aubrey Gordon, uh, who's host of Maintenance Phase. Um, I thought Everyone that, should listen to Maintenance Phase. Everyone should listen to Maintenance Phase. Everyone should read uh, You Just Need to Lose the Weight. Um, so yeah, that will be a book that will stick with me. I'm really hoping that her, I'm really hoping that the documentary about her, Your Fat Friend, um, gets distribution so that I can watch it. Yeah, me too. All right, cool. Well, that will do it. Those were our lists, our best of the year, plus our honorable mentions, plus my uh, what I wish I had been able to consume. Uh, Thank you so much for listening to that, and hopefully 
there's a lot of crossovers between maybe your own lists. Uh, maybe this gave you some ideas of things to go check out as we enter a pretty fallow period of 2024. Uh, go check out the things from 2023 that you haven't seen yet. Um, speaking of things to be watching, we got another episode coming out in two in four weeks. Yes, our, our normal production calendar, uh, where it's going to be dropping right around Groundhog's Day. So we decided to do a Groundhog's Day wacky time loop story episode. Uh, your homeworks for that are going to be the 1993 n- film which gives this trope its name, Groundhog's Day. Uh, we're also doing 2020 Palm Springs, and we're doing 2017's Happy Death Day. So those are your three homework assignments for that episode that's going to come out on February the, I think it's going to be the 6th. Um, you can follow this show on social media at DYDYH Podcast. Uh, we're on Twitter, we're on Blue Sky, we're on Instagram. We probably have a Facebook floating around somewhere. Uh, you can also email us at show at homeworkpodcast.com. Uh, please like, rate, review us on all the pod streamers, catchers, whatever the term we're supposed to be using these days. Uh, and as always, one of your homeworks is to tell your friends about us and, and spread the word. Uh, Martha, where can people find you? What other things are you plugging? What other shows might you be appearing on? Sure. Marn and I have another podcast that updates on the same feed as this one on alternating release dates called Love Ya, where we watch and review a piece of teen cinema or adult rom-com that is easily available through streaming. Um, yeah, check us out. I also am able to be found on most social media platforms at Magical Martha. Um, I ran a tiny letter newsletter, but tiny letter is going away. So I haven't decided where that is going to fall. So stay tuned for that. Uh, anywhere on socials or are you good? Oh, I said everywhere on social media at Magical Martha. Oh, there we go. Cool. Sounds good. Uh, Marin, how about yourself? Uh, yeah, I mainly tweet about romance novels these days, but if that gives any of you any interest uh, feel free to give me a follow at a underscore star underscore danced and you're still on twitter and you don't have a blue sky handle even though you were given an invite code <laughs> I, I, I <laughs> cool sounds good all right well that's gonna do it for us this week uh your next love you episode is going to be the movie along for the ride um so until then in two weeks when you can hear martha and marin talking about that or four weeks when you can hear martha and i talking about groundhog's day stuff uh thank you all so much for listening make sure you do your homework class dismissed All right. Thank you all. I have to go. I have to go join the rest of my family for dinner. Oh, yeah. (laughs) And that's late dinner. So thanks for letting us keep you as long as we did. Yeah. Thank you guys. This was super fun. Yeah, this is great.